Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? How about we talk about how to hold yourself accountable as a leader? I was supposed to come up with a topic this time, wasn't I? You were, and I need you to hold yourself accountable for that. All right. So if it's my call, since I need to come up with it, why don't we do how to hold yourself accountable as a leader? What a great idea, Dave. I wish I had thought of that. I wish you had as well, but you know, it was my job, so I did it. (laughs) I can always count on you to hold yourself accountable as a leader. I'm done. I got nothing else for you. Yeah. Okay. So let's seriously talk about this though. Um, We've talked about in the past, the importance of being accountable as a leader, right? That if we're not accountable, our, our team will never be more accountable than we are. Let's just start there. Yeah. And as we've said a lot of times, it's really important to be a role model and to look at yourself and what is it that you are doing that your team will then follow and emulate. And accountability, especially if you want it from your team, should be your first stop. Right. And as you know, and and your team will be you. So a mirror of you, which means you have to hold the standard. You're, You're the standard bearer. The standard mirror. Dum, dum, dum. Well, bearer, but mirror too. That's fine. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> sort of, I said you're a mirror and then a standard bearer and you just, because you're so much more efficient than me, you just made it a standard mirror. Standard mirror. Which is four foot by eight foot, you know, and uh, just a black frame. That's the standard. You're eight feet tall? No, but I love to see how, you know, everything around me. Got it. Okay. And I, and I just think I'm eight feet tall. So how do you recommend for leaders that they hold themselves accountable? So like many things in life... The answer is simple, but not and easy. complex. Well, simple, but not easy, right? Because we find ourselves in situations that make it difficult. But the reality is, say what you're going to do and do what you say. And then, yeah, exactly. And then if you don't, make sure you are calling yourself out, which can be really uncomfortable, but totally necessary. Yes, and. If you find yourself doing that all the time, that's a problem. Right. Then then your word is no no good at all. Absolutely. But yeah. hopefully you're catching yourself periodically or not very often, but you're willing to admit when things didn't go well because everybody already knows anyway and they're already talking about it. So you might as well get in on the action. Right. So the, the, Right. And give yourself grace and... Hold yourself accountable, Simon. Right? If you're doing it all the time, you're not really being accountable. You're making excuses. Exactly. But everybody knows occasionally things happen. Well, and that's exactly what I mean, is that when things do happen, you know, despite your best efforts, despite your best intentions, really being able to say, all right, you know what? That didn't go well. Here are the errors I made. Here's how I'm going to fix it. And uh, that, that builds a level of comfort with accountability for your team as well. You know, this actually reminds me of a story I told in an old keynote. I, I don't 
do this keynote anymore, and I haven't found a place for the story yet in my new stuff, although it is an accountability story. And, and the Reader's Digest version is uh, brand new executive officers. That's a number two officer in the squadron. Second, it's like the equivalent of a senior vice president or executive vice president, I should say. Right? There's nobody above him except for the commanding officer. He just joined us. We had never flown with him before. He had ever flown with us. We're going out on a strike escort mission. This is, uh, we proceed the bombers into the target area, make sure there's nobody hanging out who might want to try and, you know, ruin their day. And to try and keep this concise, he briefed us, he changed our standard operating procedure to an antiquated formation that hadn't been used since the Korean War because it's not effective in modern combat with jets. And uh, fortunately, this was a training mission because I wouldn't be here talking to you if it was a real life mission. Ooh. We we got our tails handed to us in about 90 seconds by the aggressors. And this was after we vociferously and strenuously like, look, XO, this is not going to work, right? This is no good. So we get back, and I remember my pilot, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Jim Heinlein Crunch. He was a retired captain now, made, had a good career, but you know, uh, he was leaving the squadron, and he was like, "You know, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm not hanging out." I'm like, "This is not bode well." We were a top squadron at Miramar at the time. Then we walk into the briefing room, and I'll never forget Luke, Luke George Luke Howard. I don't mind saying his name because he, frankly, turned out to be one of the best skippers I ever worked for when he, when he later on became skipper. Um, but he walked in, well, that didn't work so well. I think that's the last time I'm going to take the brief. You guys are always going to brief me, and I'm just going to do what you say. And I remember thinking, what a load of crap, right? He's a senior officer. There is no way he's just going to cede control to us lowly lieutenants. But after about six months, little by little, he literally just sat back whenever we were flying with him and let us do the brief and plan the missions. And I think in hindsight, this was some sort of, I don't want to say game, some sort of uh, an object lesson or something he was doing with us that, you know, is like, you know, but at the same time, he was a man of his word. He seriously did just that. And slowly but surely, the respect fell into place. My point in this story is it was our first interaction with him, which meant, we had no history. If you have no history and you screw up, you got a problem. It's your only history. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and how you handle that and how you hold yourself accountable. And and that's when your team is watching. Um, vitally important to make sure that you let them know that you, you know, you're not, things didn't go the way you wanted to and you, you know, what you're going to do to fix it. But I think it's also important to be sure you're holding yourself accountable, even when people aren't watching, because it comes out in the wash in the end. Well, it's funny. I was about to say that there's never a time when people, they may not be watching at the moment, but your actions are going to have consequences. And at some point they will become obvious. But there's another reason. Accountability like that is a habit. And if you hold yourself accountable, even when you're like absolutely sure nobody else is going to know, like I said I was going to do this and, you know, if it gets done tomorrow, that's fine. If you let that slide, that's the beginning of the slippery slope. But if you have the discipline, and this is the challenging part, if you have the discipline to say, no, I said I was going to do it, I'm going to do it, 
then when it really matters, it'll be easy. Well, and that'll shine through in discipline in other areas that your team may see. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What's what's some of your big? I know you you know you were a a, a big deal at Under Armour for a little while for a long while. I don't you know. Yes, you were. You were a big deal. No, Under Armour. <laughs> you talked I mean, to Kevin. One of a, only a few people on the team, so by virtue we were we were all a big deal. But uh, there you go. But that, yeah, I mean, no, my executive there, experience was later. But but the found you you were you not one of the founders, but I mean you were you were there in the early days, right? With Under Armour, yeah, number eighty, and which means your contribution. And I am not blowing smoke in your face. You know me better than this, um, right? But your contribution really did help set the tone for what has become a huge company, right? Because you set the early days, right, when everybody was responsible for a lot. Well, and that was one of the cool things about being on that early team is that. It was very much a all hands on deck. Everybody do what needs to be done to um, to make that little engine chug up that hill and and uh, fight against Goliath. We always had a very David and Goliath uh, mindset. Uh, but when I worked trade shows, that holding yourself accountable was a huge piece for me to be able to show up for everyone, um, even when it was my fifth show of the month and. Uh, and I needed to make sure that everything happened the way it needed to happen so that they would follow through with that at the next one. Yeah. And you're exhausted because trade shows are one of the most tiring things you can do on your feet. Even if you have a stool in, in the booth, you're on. You're, you're emotionally on. Yeah, Except for maybe when you close the door and it stalls. Like the only time you kind of go like, oh, relax a little bit. Right. But I mean, just walking around, you have, you're the face of Under Armour at that show. Well, fortunately, I was in charge of setting up the trade show, so I rarely had to work the booth. But getting that thing set up, making sure everybody had what they needed. And, of course, most people go to trade shows a couple times a year, maybe three or four or five times a year. But I'm going four or five times a month. Everybody's going out and throwing the big party. So you stay out late. You got to get up early. And so, yeah, it was exhausting, especially at the end of the show when everything was ready to be cleaned up. That was the moment where... I really needed to have that discipline that you talk about. And what that created was at the end of each event, the whole team, the whole sales team that was working the show would come together with me to finish the job, not to just go off on their own, but because they knew I was there making sure everything got packed up right for the next show, they were willing to stay. And it got done a heck of a lot faster. It was a lot more fun. And we all got to go to dinner afterwards and not stay there all night. Yeah, and there's an interesting, you know, sub. We 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 started this by saying you have to be accountable so that your team sees it and they're accountable. And this is an example by uh, by you being accountable. Your team stepped up to the plate to be accountable as well, following your lead because they it, it, if if they didn't and things got packed wrong or mispacked, left behind, they were the ones who were going to be affected. Right. Right. And and I think you said it earlier brilliantly. I was a standard mirror. <laughs> I set the standard for what was expected of them as far as cleanup. Because again, that's the end of a three-day show where you've gone out partying with industry people all the time. And that's the last, all you want to do is shove stuff in a box and get the heck out of there as fast as you can. And yeah. so by setting that standard, they mirrored it and it ended up being successful. Yeah. And, and if you doubt that it works that way, look at any of these um, bar, restaurant, rescue shows, 
because they're all ver- and, and actually I'm I'm watching reruns now of um Hotel Hell, which is Gordon Ramsay's rehabbing hotels. Huh. Right. They're probably uh, I was they're like ten years old, and um, it, and it doesn't really matter what this show is. Even even um, uh, Marcus Lemonis, what well, was his show? Um, where he'd go in and buy a piece of companies and then try and turn them around. Uh, the profit, right? It's always the same. The speed. My, my old sales manager used to say, "The speed of the pack is the speed of the leader," mm-hmm. and and. When the staff isn't performing, it's because leadership isn't performing. So what were some of your tricks for getting yourself to be disciplined, to not just say, ah, F it? You know, we know the right thing to do. You always know the right thing to do. Oftentimes you don't want to. Oftentimes you're, not, you're tired enough to. But in the end of the day, you know, and it's not making excuses for yourself and just getting the right job done so that not only do you have your right job done, but again, you're being that mirror that your team's going to reflect themselves on. Yeah. And the longer you procrastinate doing something, the harder it is. What was that Mel Robbins book? Uh, three second five rule? Five second rule. Five second rule. I couldn't remember. Is it three or five? But yeah. I'll tell you, I, I started doing that after I listened to that. And, you know, just when I feel like procrastinating, I'm like, hey, you know, I got to do it. All right. Five, four, three, two, one, do it. And you get it done, and then it's like, oh, you feel so much better. Yeah, when you can cross it off the list and say, okay, that's behind me now, it not only gets the stuff that you don't want to do done, but it also creates momentum to do more things because it's not that thing that you're avoiding isn't continuing to stare at you. As Mark Twain said, if you have to eat a live frog, don't stare at it too long. He's a wise man. And he says funny stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure if that one of them, but yes, he did say funny stuff. Very Somewhere funny. on the internet, I read that. Yeah, who knows if it's true. true. Yeah, it's on the internet. Right? Right. So, But it's true. I mean, by being able to just say, five, four, three, two, one, let's get this done. And I love her kind of blast off imagery where it's like, five, four, three, two, one, go, just do it. Um, another method that I use is I will set a timer for 10 minutes and I will start. And if I'm still dreading it and hating it at the end of that 10 minutes, I'll stop. At least I got 10 minutes done, come back to it later. But 99% of the time, you've got the momentum on the task. It's just the getting started part that's hard. When that timer goes off, I turn it off and I keep going and finish the task. It works like a charm every single time. Yeah, Another trick, and this is something I've only recently come to, is, and I'm serious about this, plan to do less. One, yes. of the, one of the challenges we have is we over-plan our day. So one, the sheer volume is sort of intimidating. You know, you know every 30 minutes I'm doing something for an eight-hour day, you know, and you say, well, what does that work out to be? 16 tasks to do? Right. By the time you hit about five, your brain is fried. The tasks always take longer than you want anyway. And then instead of feeling the satisfaction of completion, you feel the dissatisfaction of failure because, yeah, I got five done, but I got 11 left to go, right? Cut yeah. away back. Yeah, and, and that's being realistic. You know, when we're in a bubble and we're in our planning bubble and our day planning bubble, we always way overestimate 
the emotional energy we're going to have to get things done for the day. And you're also not taking into account all of the interruptions, all of the like, you know, fire drills that you have to deal with that take time. And so I heard somebody say, I plan 70% of my day. And she goes, it's always plenty. And I have time for the other things I need to get done. And it helps you prioritize too. And say, okay, if I only get five things done, it's going to be these five. Then if I have more energy to keep going, I can do these next few things. But it helps you prioritize when you minimize what you plan to do. Or, and I have another suggestion, if you, when you get those five things done, do something fun. And I'm yeah. saying, engage in, right, in all of our jobs or works or, you know, where I'm at in life, you know, I, I don't, I work for myself, obviously, just like you do. I get the things done for the day I need to do. I'm not like looking to fill up the day with more work stuff. Now, every now and then, right by exception, like everything, there's nothing hard and fast. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull this forward because there's a good reason to do that. But for most of the time, it's like, let me go do something fun. Enjoy mm -hmm. yourself. But even when I was working uh, full-time jobs for people where, you know, I'm not going to go goof off on their time. There are, every job is made up of three different things. The things you love to do, the things you hate to do, and the things that are sort of neutral about. So when you find that, you get your day planned, you get this stuff done, and you're going to pull something forward, do something fun. Yeah, something rewarding, something you enjoy doing, or even go get a coffee, just take a break because it's not only, it's rewarding yourself, but that's also going to re-energize yourself for the next run or the next thing you want to get done. Yeah, and if you're a manager, supervisor, you have people who report to you, that's a great time to walk the floor, right? I always get energized when I get out there, see what's going on, talk to my folks. I mean, I used to, I love that part. And it's just, it's a nice break from getting away from your desk. If, you know, again, depending on the environment you work in, but it's a, it's a nice break to get away from your desk if you're a desk guy uh, or gal. And you go out there and you actually get in touch and see what's happening and, and, and just relax and soak it in. Don't, don't go out there with any intention other than to get to know your folks. Well, and the other thing about that is we're talking about holding ourselves accountable by showing your team that you're taking a little time away from the desk tasks. You're saying it's okay to take a little breather because then they are going to be able to re-energize themselves when they need it. And they're going to be a heck of a lot more engaged and a heck of a lot more productive as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Do you have any other tips? You know, the other thing that I was thinking about as we talked about holding ourselves accountable goes back to what I was talking about, about prioritizing. Holding yourself accountable for doing the right tasks at the right time in the right order, making sure you're hitting those deadlines and doing the things, especially if we're doing what you just talked about with like shortening your to-do list, making sure you're prioritizing and you're intentionally getting the right things done. You're going to be modeling that, doing the right things at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you just reminded me of something I was going to say earlier, and then we got distracted because that's what happens when we talk. That's what we do. That's what we do. Um, what was I going to say again? No, seriously. Is As you're scheduling your fewer tasks, schedule a tight timeline for them. Not, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. right? Don't give yourself too much time because then you'll dawdle, right? When Parkinson's law kicks in. Work takes up the amount of time 
allocated to it. And they've done a ton of studies to show that when you shorten the amount of time you give yourself to do it, you get better quality work. Everybody's got a timer on their phone. If you're like, okay, this writing this email or whatever should take me 15 minutes, boom, set your timer for 15 minutes and you're more likely to get it done in 15 and not waste an hour and a half crafting or doing the task. Yeah, although 15-minute email, I'm not sure I want to read that one. Well, if it's like a newsletter type email or, a, you know, something like that. That's yeah. Uh, okay, newsletter, yeah. Cause I'm not thirsty. like, hey, Dave, you ready to do a podcast interview? That that takes me only like 14 minutes. Yeah, I mean, 15-minute email like that sounds like one of those Christmas letters you get from that relative that you oh, never God. see. And, and, and true story. My, so my wife got one from um, from her aunt. And like in the middle of this is, and, and, and this was aunt by marriage, right? The, the uncle was the blood relative. And like in the middle of this is, oh, by the way, your uncle died. Um, like in this middle of this diatribe about everything else that's going on. Good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that kind of email. Yeah. So I bet that took her longer than 15 minutes. No, she didn't really like him anyway. So she just. Oh dear. (laughs) No, No, she liked the uncle. It was the. Yeah, she wasn't crazy about it. Mm. So anyway, yeah, holding yourself accountable for for priorities, for getting the right things done, and setting yourself that timer. And, you know, I love doing a time audit of my day periodically, like every six months or so. I will just record every 15 minutes what I'm doing. No judgment, no editing, nothing for like three days. And then I start to develop and understand patterns where those emails are taking me 15, you know, a half an hour or podcast editing is taking me an hour and a half or, you know, things that shouldn't be taking as long as they are. So I can start to very intentionally craft, hey, this is where I need to shorten the amount of time that I'm spending doing this thing. Yeah, I love time audits. I usually recommend that with my clients who are um, going, I, you know, I, I don't ever have enough time in a day to get my job done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every 15, whatever you're doing at that 15 minute mark, write it down. I mean, I don't care if you just started it, you know, you know, if you're only doing it for half a second and that happens to be when the timer goes off, write it down. I promise you it will be illuminating. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you free up your time, it's a lot easier to be accountable when you're not overwhelmed. Right. And again, you're being that great role model for your team and you're being accountable for the productivity that you need to get done. Yeah. So I think we need to be accountable to our listeners because we like to keep this to around 30 minutes. We'll let them go. We'll let them go and then we'll catch them next time. And if you're interested in doing a time audit, just go and Google time audit template. You'll find a whole bunch of templates where you can just take that down if you need it. See you next week, everybody. And if you love this, just uh, subscribe below and pass this on to your friends. We'll see you then. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Disarm them.